Welcome to the Vacation Effect Podcast, where we discuss time and lifestyle hacks for the busy entrepreneur, helping you grow your business even faster by working less and having a lot more fun. Now, here's your host, Denise Gosnell. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Vacation Effect Podcast. This is your host, Denise Gosnell, and today I am super excited to have my good friend, Jim Dew, who's a financial advisor, on sharing some real nuggets of wisdom with us today. Jim is going to be sharing some great investing and wealth hacks that you are going to love. Just trust me. Jim is the CEO of Do Wealth Management and advisor to the entrepreneur. He has 24 years of advisory experience and focuses on building virtual family offices for entrepreneurs. Jim earned a BS in mathematics from the University of Arizona and an MBA from Arizona State University. He's a certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, and a certified private wealth advisor. His book, Beyond a Million, is the entrepreneur's playbook for expanding wealth, freedom, and time. Jim has been featured in Inc., Entrepreneur, and Huffington Post magazines, and he's also a sought-after speaker for stages and podcasts for elite entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jim. Glad to have you on the show. You're welcome, Denise. My pleasure. Yeah, so just to give everybody a, a quick backstory on how you and I know each other, you and I have had the pleasure of working together for coming up on 10 years, actually, in 2020, uh, that you and I have been, both been serving our mutual client, Joe Polish. So Jim has been Joe's financial advisor for many, many years. I'll let Jim speak to that if he wants to. And I've been uh, Joe's legal counsel. And so he and I have worked together behind the scenes, uh, you know, helping Joe manages accounts. And I've gotten to see firsthand, Jim, what a great financial and investment advisor you are to entrepreneurs. And in fact, I've learned things from working with you that I never knew about legal and investing in tax structures to, you know, maximize wealth and reduce taxes. So thanks for everything you've taught me over the years. Oh, you're welcome, Denise. And it's been a pleasure having some mutual clients. And I've always respected your legal work. And now you're helping entrepreneurs in ways beyond the legal stuff, which is great to see. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm really excited to to dive uh, deep into those today. And, you know, I'd love to start with, you know, you've worked with, um, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, helping them set up family offices and, you know, just get a handle on their wealth. And can we start with talking about what is this idea of a family office that you help your entrepreneurial clients set up and that, you know, even whether somebody would, you know, work with you or not, what should they know about a family office that it's not just available to the super rich? Like, what does that even mean? So a lot of entrepreneurs have heard the term family office in recent years. When I started creating virtual family offices, not many people were talking about it. But just so everybody on your, who are listening to you know what a, a family office is, it's what billionaires do to manage their wealth. And it's where they'll hire all the needed tax, legal, insurance, and investment professionals as full-time employees working for the one family. It's the best structure I've ever seen for wealth management, but there's one catch to that. And that's you need about two or $300 million in assets before it pencils out. Payroll begins at about a million dollars and moves up from there. So because of that, when I first discovered this family office structure, I realized that I wanted to do it for my family, but I don't have two or $300 million. And I don't have clients who have two or $300 million. I have some very wealthy clients, but not that much. So I thought, I wonder if I could create the same structure or a similar structure for a fraction of the cost. And that's what I set out to do. And, and that's what we do for our entrepreneur, entrepreneurs today. 
Cool. So you, in, to elaborate on that, you're helping them bring together those different um, advisors together that you kind of spearhead that office for them. Is that, is that how you work? Exactly. So one of the keys to a family office structure is you have all A player professionals. They're communicating and collaborating on your behalf. And you're not in the middle trying to manage all of these professionals. So I often say, if I ask you who the annoying one in your family is, if you can't tell me, guess what? It's you. So if I ask you who's in the middle of all of your advisors and your professionals, if you can't tell me who it is, it's probably you. And it shouldn't be you because you're not an expert in tax, legal insurance, and investments. And you need someone in the middle coordinating those efforts. Often entrepreneurs, over their lifetime, they pick up different professionals. So they'll pick up an, uh, an attorney for estate planning. They'll pick up an accountant to do their taxes. They'll pick up an insurance agent for the commercial or their personal insurance. And then what happens is these professionals aren't always communicating. They're not always A players. And then it becomes this kind of mishmash of stuff where nothing's really been, being done well and nothing's being done proactively for the entrepreneur. And so that's what we try to do is create that team of A players that are communicating and collaborating without the entrepreneur having to manage all of that so they can get the results they want in all the areas of wealth building and wealth sustainability. Yeah, and I'm so glad that I was introduced to this idea through working with you with Joe because you know like you and I are often working on things behind the scenes for our mutual clients that you know they they just trust us to handle it and then when there's something we need their decision on or their signature on we report back to them and it's just what a cool way of doing it that I didn't realize that existed to you know, a seven figure entrepreneur that's, you know, just in the single digit seven figures and isn't the $200 million family like you were talking about. So thanks for opening my eyes to this world, Jim. Yeah, it's funny too. You, there's a concept that we created that we, I was surprised that this was a huge value for our entrepreneurs, but they kept talking about it. So I created a name for it. We call it the time energy shield. I thought it was all the tax planning, the asset protection, the investment management, all those things put together. But more often than not, our entrepreneurs say, gosh, you know what? I don't have to worry about this stuff. You're doing all these things behind the scenes. You only bring me in when I need to make a decision or when I need to be informed. So we created the name Time Energy Shield. So we shield an entrepreneur's time and energy from other professionals' pitches and projects that help in their wealth management and wealth building so that they only need to be brought in when necessary. And the most valuable asset for anyone really, but especially for entrepreneurs is their time and energy. Yeah, let's talk more about that because that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. So, you know, one of the, one of the struggles that entrepreneurs have, as you, as you were just mentioning, is that we've got so many people vying for our attention, wanting us to invest in this business or, you know, wanting us to give our expertise to that business in return for shares. And like the opportunities are endless. Of, I can't tell you how many times I've been offered that. And we've seen our mutual clients offer that. And it's like, how, does, how do you recommend entrepreneurs who don't have you on their team or, you know, someone like yourself on their team? What are some tips you can give them on how to evaluate the investments and the places that people are wanting their attention to determine, you know, are we going in the right areas? Are we, so how, do you, how do you go about evaluating that for clients or how can entrepreneurs even look at that themselves, if that makes sense? Well, the first thing every entrepreneur needs when it comes to their investments and their wealth building is a strategy. And often I see entrepreneurs who don't have a strategy, so they're just bouncing between one idea or another a friend that they care about and they trust has an idea or a startup, so they throw some money at that. Someone else is doing a real estate fund, so they put some money in that. And there's no overall strategy. 
And what's a good investment for one entrepreneur could be a terrible investment for a different entrepreneur. So the first thing is having an overall strategy. And one thing that entrepreneurs should understand, and this is one of the most important things about being an entrepreneur and getting rich and staying rich, is that you get rich by being concentrated. And what I, the term I use is, is rich, I would say over $20 million in assets. If you have more than $20 million, I think you're rich. And uh, of course, other people might disagree with that who are billionaires, but I think that's a pretty good number, 20 million. And most people in America who have more than $20 million were business owners. It's something like 95%. And that's because they were concentrated in a business. They took a lot of risk. They believed in it. They created this thing and then they had an exit. That's usually how people get more than $20 million. So often you get rich as an entrepreneur by being concentrated, but you stay rich by being diversified. And if all of your assets right now are in your business that you're running, to invest all the extra money you have into more other businesses like yours is probably not the smartest strategy. So the first thing is having an overall strategy. Now, once you have, a, have, have had an exit, let's say you have $20 million liquid. Well, then you might have more money that you could put toward other startups and other ventures because first you would carve out the amount of money that you need to create a reliable, stable income from more predictable investments that aren't as exciting as starting a business, and then have a risk budget for the amount you can put towards startups and other investments that seem more exciting and more like what you like to build. So what would that look like? Well, maybe you say, okay, I can take 18 or $19 million, put it in a reliable, predictable portfolio of stocks, bonds, and real estate, and create an income stream that I feel comfortable with that will meet all my needs. And then I could take one or two million and play around with starting businesses, investing in startups, et cetera. But just that strategy is gonna help because the two most risky times for entrepreneurs are startup and three years post exit when I see them do a lot of dumb things with their money without really thinking about a risk budget and about the risk of different startup ventures. So that's kind of the overall most important thing is a strategy and then sticking to that strategy. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like, you know, you and I talked before about how my husband and I, our primary investment strategies in real estate and whole life insurance um, policies, you know, cash value, whole life policies, but then most of our assets are in real estate, but, and then also my active service businesses, you know, the vacation effect and my law firm. So it's like, for me, I don't do a lot of investing in the stock market, but that's something that I'm looking at doing more of. But if I didn't have that strategy and I had all these people coming to me wanting me to invest a bunch of money in, you know, stocks or, you know, in their shares in their companies, that wouldn't be in alignment with the strategy of how I currently have set up, you know, for my husband and I to invest our wealth. Is that a good example of what you're talking about with, you know, the strategy being key? Because I'm putting the extra capital that I have into growing my own companies and in building our real estate and our whole life policies. That's our strategy. That's a great example. That's exactly what I mean. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. And mm -hmm. often when entrepreneurs talk to advisors who are primarily advisors in America come through either broker dealers, brokerage firms, insurance companies, or banks, and often they have a recipe that they want to put you into the recipe. And really what you need is an advisor who has a cookbook who can create whatever recipes are right for you. And your strategy may not be right for another entrepreneur, but it works for you. You have a well thought out strategy and then it helps you get clarity when you have an opportunity to decide, does this fit my strategy or not? I'll just throw another one out there. So a couple of our wealthiest clients, when they had their exit, they said, I want to take enough money and put it in laddered municipal bonds, conservative strategy, tax-free income. So my lifestyle is taken care of. 
Once we figured that out, they said, okay, the rest I want to take, I want to buy some real estate, I want to start a business, I want to do these other things. There's their strategy and it's worked great for them. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be like your strategy or the strategy I just told you about, or it could be you know, hundreds of different other ways of doing it. But you have to have a strategy. Otherwise, all your friends and peers and other entrepreneurs are going to tell you the next shiny object and you're going to go look at that. Because unless you have a framework or a strategy, it's really hard to decide what investments or opportunities are good to put your money and time and energy toward and what you should just take a pass on. So if I hear you correctly, Jim, you know, what you're saying is, of course, the strategy is key. And then as different people are asking you to invest in their company or, you know, give services in return for stock or whatever the case may be, you just compare it against your strategy and say, does this even fit now or ever? Is it a not now thing, but maybe later? You know, as you mentioned, if like if I were to exit a company later, maybe it'd be something I'd revisit. Or is this a not ever because it just doesn't align with my strategy at all? Is that the practical application of that? Absolutely. And then if you want, we can drill down a little bit when entrepreneurs get offers for different investments of some basic things that we look for. But the the overriding thing is having a strategy. And then that clears the deck from a lot of stuff that would get your attention that you just know, that's not my thing. I'm not going to worry about. Right. Well, I'd love to know when you first start working with a new entrepreneurial client, and I know most of your clients start at seven figures, seven or eight figures, they have at least a million dollar um, type of company that you can help them or in, in personal assets that you can then help advise them on. When you first come to them, is that the first thing that you help them with that they're lacking is the strategy? Or what are some of the other big things that you tend to see them either mistakes they're making or areas they haven't gotten to so far? if we don't want to call them mistakes, but you know what I mean. Yes, I know what you mean. Our clients are kind of our starting point for clients is a million dollars of revenue. So if they have a company that's doing a million dollars or more, that's kind of a starting point when we feel there's enough complexity where we could add some value. And then really I boil it down to, uh, you know, I see entrepreneurs and they always have these dreams and wishes and hopes. And yet often the reality doesn't come where they want it to come. So they have these dreams and wishes, but they don't really come true. And the way I like to talk about that is making rich real. And I believe entrepreneurs are the reason for everything great in this country, the reason for the economy, the reason for innovations, even the reason for giving. But often entrepreneurs don't put together a plan to make rich real. And make rich real can be different things to different entrepreneurs. So for some, it could mean some convenience like flying first class or flying private. For others, it might mean knowing that their great-grandchildren never have to worry about the cost of an education. For still others, it might mean giving in some way to some charitable cause, both when they're alive and even after they're gone. So whatever that means to each entrepreneur, they they should identify that, but then have a plan to make rich real for them. And in my almost 25 years of doing this, to get that outcome, you really have to move toward three specific outcomes to get the make rich real. And that would be absolute confidence in the team of professionals who are helping you, maximizing your wealth both inside and outside your company, and then having a plan for sustainable wealth. So those are kind of the three outcomes that you want to work toward. And if you do that, you will make rich real, whatever that means to you. That's great. So it was absolute confidence in your team. And then what was the second one? maximizing your wealth both inside and outside your company. If your wealth is always in your company and you never find a way to build wealth outside your company, you're at great risk. That can work over five or 10 years, but over a long period of time, eventually you're going to have problems in your business or you're going to exit your business. 
you're gonna pass away, you're gonna get disabled, you're gonna walk away, you're gonna give it to your kids, you're gonna have a competitor, the market will change, technology will change, something could happen in that business. So you really need to build wealth outside of your company in addition to being smart and building the value of your company, which is a whole nother topic about maximizing business value. Gotcha. So it's really talking about, in some ways, diversifying where all your eggs aren't just in one company's basket. The story I told in my book is if you have, let's say you have this money printing machine and you are in charge of it. So this is your company and it prints money faster than anywhere else you could put your money. But it takes your time, your creativity, your energy, your innovation. So you have to pay attention to that money printing machine. What if you gradually built another money-making machine over a period of years that printed money, albeit much slower, just a very slow, predictable money printing machine? As soon as you create the second machine that prints enough money for you to live your lifestyle, you truly have freedom. Because then you have a money printing machine that doesn't take your time, energy, creativity, your innovation, that would sustain you. And then you can still build your own company and continue to run it or sell it or whatever you want. So kind of the, the image I try to give entrepreneurs is, yeah, it's great that you have a company that prints money faster than anywhere else to put your money. But wouldn't it be great if you had another way to print money that maybe is much slower, boring, not very interesting, but takes none of your time or energy? That'd be a pretty cool thing. So I try to get them to think about building that outside of their company so that then they have the best of both of those worlds. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause there's, there's so much more beneath the surface to what that really means. And thanks for going deeper on that. Sure. And, you know, related to that, you know, you know how at the vacation effect, I'm all about working less and having a better lifestyle while also your business continues to grow In your 24 years doing what you do. What have you seen, um, you know, the best way from your perspective to the, with your clients on making more money and working less? Like what have you helped them implement or what have they been overlooking? Here's one of the things that was shocking to me. It's still shocking to me at times that a lot of entrepreneurs, even ones who have very successful businesses, don't really know their numbers. So if I could, I'll show you a quick story from, so my first job, I was a public school math teacher. And then my second career for 24 years, I've been a financial advisor. And there was a little window in between for about a year where I did door-to-door -door sales of all things. And the reason why I tell you that is, my manager in door-to-door -door sales, uh, he was this guy named John. He was six foot three, 280 pounds. And big John had done nothing in his life but door-to-door -door sales. So he was a hardcore door-to-door -door salesperson, if you could imagine someone like that. And he was our manager. And once a week, you had to go in and see big John. And there was a form you had to fill out with all these boxes. Things like how many doors did you knock on and how many appointments did you set and how many sales did you make? Those types of numbers. And I was told by all the other salespeople, look, you don't want to show up at that meeting with Big John without having every box filled out. Because if there's a box without a number, the first thing John's going to say is he's going to say, what number goes in that box? And the minute you open your mouth and you start talking, he's going to interrupt you. He's going to say, no, no, no. A story doesn't fit in that box. A number fits in that box. And if you tell me the number, I already know the story. And that was my experience with Big John, my sales manager. But what it taught me is knowing your numbers matters. More than the story, the numbers matter. 
And entrepreneurs need to know what their numbers are. And they need to know what are the critical drivers for profitability. And not only do they need to know those, but they need to monitor those. I'd say quarterly is a good time frame. They need to monitor those and have an easy way to monitor and improve those to drive profitability. And the reason I tell you that story and talk about knowing your numbers is because when an entrepreneur knows his or her numbers and knows what drives the profitability of the company, then they can just look at how they're spending their time. And here's what they usually find out. They're spending a lot of time doing things that are not very profitable for their company. And they're spending a smaller amount of time doing the things that are really profitable for the company. And then it becomes this. They can actually spend more time doing the things that are really profitable, cut out a lot of the time that they're doing things that are not profitable, and then they end up with what you talk about as the vacation effect, where they work less and make a lot more. Yeah, it's about focusing on the, the critical few that will actually produce the greatest results and ignoring all the stuff that doesn't even matter. I'll give you an example in my own entrepreneurial life. For about a decade, I taught continuing education classes to CPAs and attorneys. And I have to admit, it was kind of an ego thing. Teaching classes to attorneys and CPAs made me feel really good about myself. But then as it wore off and it wasn't as much fun, I just kept doing it. And then one day I looked at what actually comes out of all those continuing education classes. And it wasn't much business, surprisingly. I had a lot of attorneys and CPAs who would say, oh, Jim, you're great. I'm going to send you business. But I, when I really looked at it, it didn't add that much to my profitability. So I thought, why am I doing this? And by cutting that out, I freed up a ton of time. Yeah, that's a great example. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that I see entrepreneurial clients, um, you know, that I've worked with and that just I know through my other companies. And I was guilty of this too, is just spinning my wheels. You know, I used to spin my wheels, um, you know, jumping around and being crazy busy, but not being effective. You know, there's a difference between being busy versus being effective. And so you're saying in terms of knowing your numbers, you know, knowing the critical drivers for profitability, and you're talking about the numbers like, you know, what is your, can you give me some examples of some of those numbers? I know what I think you mean, but I want to make sure we all understand which numbers you're talking about. Sure. Like for example, what's the cost to acquire a customer or a client? Mm -hmm. That should be a really basic thing. And then of the ways you're trying to acquire a customer or a client, what is the return on investment? So how much are you paying for Facebook ads or how much are you paying to take people out to dinner to get referrals or how much are you paying to fly around the country and speak to groups or those types of things. What did it cost you to put your, your book together if your book is a lead generation strategy? And then what are you getting from those different ways of, of making money, of getting clients and customers? So what is the cost of acquisition would be a good one. What are the different ways that you're doing your marketing and how are those translating to actual profitability numbers? Because sometimes just because something's working, it might also be the most expensive part of your marketing and other things that work pretty well, but cost a lot less might be better. So knowing cost, uh, the cost of acquisition of, of customers or clients, knowing the different marketing strategies that you're, you're using and how those are, are benefiting you could just be a couple, but each business may have a couple of specific numbers that you need to monitor and pay attention to that other businesses wouldn't care so much about. So knowing your business and what drives profitability and then having it simple, rather than looking at P&Ls and all the stuff that your bookkeeper or accountant would put together, you want to highlight those very few critical drivers that drive your, your, your profitability in the end. 
And so then that's where you're talking about you you see a big opportunity for entrepreneurs in the time savings so that they can have you know more freedom and the business can keep growing is when you're looking at those those numbers then being able to say okay you know here's where I'm at on these and oh wow this is what I need to be doing more of and all the rest of the stuff doesn't even matter so you just freed up a bunch of time like you did when you stopped going to those um, continuing ed or those mixers or whatever you were talking about absolutely and even I, I get clients from speaking so i like to speak at different mastermind groups and not only is it the right thing for adding value to more of the audience but also the right thing for potentially getting new clients is speaking to the right group and i learned that the hard way when i first started doing a lot of speaking to entrepreneurs i was just excited to speak so i would take any invitation go speak anywhere and then i realized when 80 percent of the room came up and expressed interest and no one really was a good client because no one was making any money. They didn't have successful businesses yet. Doesn't mean they're bad people. They were just more in their beginning stages. That's probably not the right group because a lot of what I talk about is advanced planning that doesn't really apply until you, you're at a million dollars or more in revenue. Yeah, gotcha. Well, and you know, speaking of that, um, you know, I was telling you before about my investment strategy that my husband and I have on the real estate and whole life policies and then my service businesses, you know, we're looking at doing more stock investing too, um, just to, you know, to start putting some money into other areas as well. You know, as an entrepreneur, what is a good place for me and other, other entrepreneurs to start with stock investing? Is it just like something like opening up a Fidelity or similar online brokerage account? And if, if you know, what should I be looking for in setting up something like that? I'm not talking about a substantial amount of money, but it'll grow over time. But like, what questions should I be asking? Or is there just some easy ones to start with that you can recommend? Well, diver again, diversity is such a key because when you're investing, I see this too with entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs almost hate to invest in a diversified portfolio. They'd rather just buy Apple and Google stock because that is something that more identifies with what they believe in and that gives them a lot more upside, but all, a lot more downside because there's concentrated risk. So one thing is just diversification. So making sure you understand your risk and things like bonds reduce risk in a portfolio and also reduce return. Things like stocks increase risk and increase returns. So making sure that you have a strategy about how your philosophy is overall when it comes to investing. So that could be, let's say you believe in passive investing, which a lot of people believe in. And I think there's a lot of evidence for passive investing so that you might be investing in indexes. So to do that with passive investing, a lot of people buy the S&P 500, which is fine, but that's really not well diversified. You're in one asset class. You're in large U.S. companies. And you probably want to have some small U.S. companies. You probably want to have some international companies. You probably want to have some emerging market companies. And especially today when we've seen outperformance by growth stocks and outperformance by U.S. stocks over the last five or 10 years, the next five or 10 years will probably be something more like outperformance by international or emerging market stocks. So it's easy to get caught into chasing returns or being too concentrated, like just buying the S&P 500. So I'd say be well diversified, understand your risk, make sure that you're balanced so that you don't have too much risk for what you're trying to achieve or too little for that perspective. I, I see entrepreneurs who sit in cash for years because they're afraid about getting in at the wrong time and losing money. And that's also another big mistake. So taking too much risk, concentrated risk outside your business or investing too much in stocks, but also too little risk, too much in cash for too long 
too much of a fear of investing at the wrong time and, and seeing a stock market drop. Gotcha. Yeah. And then in terms of the actual, you know, mechanics of the accounts, I know you can't necessarily endorse, you know, Fidelity or any one particular account, but I, you know, I assume that the accounts like that, though, there are different, it's easy enough to get started with, you know, accounts like Fidelity or Schwab or whatever the case may be just to do, to start getting invest investments going. Definitely. So costs and fees are always something you need to understand. Mm -hmm. What are you paying? Who are you paying? What are you getting for what you're paying? That's really important. If you're a do-it-yourself, I'd say you have to understand things well enough to feel confident, but there are some people who can do it themselves. And you know, places like Vanguard and Schwab are good places to go for that or Fidelity. Any low-cost type of brokerage or uh, custodian can work for you. And they have a lot of resources and research that you can do there as well. Uh, if you need someone to do the investing for you, no, there's nothing wrong with that. And often people need someone to hold their hand and guide them through tumultuous times and when markets are hard to predict. And there's, there's a lot of studies. In fact, Vanguard did a white paper in 2014 saying that there is measurable performance results by having a financial advisor. And one of the biggest pieces of that is behavioral finance because we know from all the studies that the average investor shoots himself or herself in the foot when it comes to investing because they panic when things are crashing and they sell and then they get exuberant when things are going up and they buy. And whenever you buy high and sell low, that causes big problems over a long period of time because we know one of the basic tenants is buy low and sell high. So knowing your personality and your ability to manage your emotions, if you have trouble with that, you really need an advisor in your court to help you manage through those, those tough times. And there will be tough times again. We know that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I highly recommend that, you know, entrepreneurs that especially that are, you know, in the seven figure mark that, you know, grossing seven, seven figures in their company, a million or more, like what you talked about. I found that there was something magical about that million dollar mark and gross that you just started having to look at things differently, or it's easy to look up and you can squander it all away. You're like, I can't tell you how many um, hundreds of thousands of dollars, Jim, that I've just pissed away because I wasn't paying attention to the numbers like I should have been. Like I canceled last year, I canceled like two, two or three thousand dollars a month of recurring subscriptions that I didn't even need anymore, or that I can consolidate with other things that because my needs had changed, or you know, I could consolidate with this other one that I was already using. And it's like, wow, how, how easy is that for us to just let that stuff pass us by? And I assume that you know part of what you do in working with your clients and the, you know, other advisors like you do is to help get a handle on that and be more conscious to reviewing it periodically. I agree. I also have a belief that entrepreneurs should be able to hire a wealth manager without having to have them do the investment piece as well. And we've done this where we decoupled where people still hire us for the investment management piece, but it's optional. It's not required. And that's because some entrepreneurs can do it themselves. So why should they be paying fees to us if they can do it themselves? Or some are in your boat where you want to buy real estate. And if you love to buy real estate, why shouldn't you buy real estate? So we, although we do the investment management piece, it's not a requirement. A lot of financial advisors and wealth managers, you can only work with them when they manage the investments. And what I've seen, not in all cases, but what I've seen in many cases is that advisors that get paid that way often give lip service to some of the other critical areas that need to be addressed when it comes to wealth management that are certainly just as important as the investments. 
Yeah, and I was really glad to hear that you um, have revised how you work with clients in that regard, Jim, because now, you know, you and I are talking about you starting to, you know, become my advisor in 2020 because you, you now have, you know, changed that you found that that was a good spot to help entrepreneurs that you otherwise weren't able to serve. Like under your model a few years ago, I wouldn't have been a good client for you because most of my assets are in real estate and whole life policies and I don't have a large stock portfolio. But I love this new model that you have gone to. Um, if we could talk about that a little bit, I'd love to um, to go, because you really impressed me with with our call we had recently on this about how you go deep into that that audit that you do. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, what you do in the audit and, you know, whether somebody would ever work with you or not, this is something that they could go have done for themselves or do it on their own. It's really tedious to do on your own, by the way, everybody. Mm -hmm. And just letting what Jim charges is a steal for what it is that he does in this really impressive audit. Could you tell us more a little bit about that? Sure. And I believe that the first, just like if you go to a doctor, they have to do testing and they have to figure out exactly who you are and what's important to you and what's your current state of your health. And we do the same thing. And I think a lot of advisors do the same thing, which is trying to get to know a new client and figure out what are your objectives? What are your goals? What matters to you in your life? What are your relationships? But then also what's going on in all the areas of your wealth, whether it's insurance, investment, tax, and legal. So the family office assessment that we do, and this is something that other advisors can do for you as well. We're not the only game in town. Uh, but what we believe when it comes to the family office assessment is we're going to look at what matters and what is critical to building this kind of virtual family office structure. So the three main drivers, and this is true of any entrepreneur, are protect, manage, and grow. You really need to have a way to protect, manage, and grow your wealth. And within each of those drivers, there are three catalysts. So under protect, the first catalyst is asset protection, and that is having a plan so your assets can't be taken by a lawsuit. The second is wealth transfer. So that's having a plan so that your heirs are taken care of, they have opportunities without ruining them. Also, so if you get disabled or sick, whether you have kids or not, but there's a plan for how things are gonna be managed so you don't get better and find out that your financial stuff just went in a ditch. And also being able to pass on things like values and beliefs that you've learned in your life as an entrepreneur that would be valuable to the world. That would be wealth transfer. And then the third, I already mentioned earlier on the call, the time energy shield, about having someone in your life that can protect your time and energy from other professionals, pitches, and projects. Then under the manage piece, uh, the first piece of, of manage is your business value. Your largest asset not as an entrepreneur is going to be your business and having a idea, having a business valuation, it doesn't have to be a $20,000 arm's length, third party, official, accredited valuation of your company, but you do want to have a business valuation to find out roughly what your company's worth. Then you want a monetization strategy so that you can either have a high multiple exit in the future or turn your company into a lifestyle business where you can just collect your revenue and, and enjoy your life. Uh, the second piece is something we call the wealth wheel. We alluded to that earlier, which is having a wheel of advisors who are all A players who are co coordinating their efforts, communicating and collaborating, and where you're not in the middle, where you have a wealth manager who is managing those relationships for you. And then finally, what we call the linchpin partner, and that's a wealth manager that has three criteria. First, uh, has a specialty in working with entrepreneurs. A lot of financial advisors are generalists. They'll work with anyone with money. So someone who's specialized in working with entrepreneurs someone who has experience working with entrepreneurs, and someone who has a fiduciary standard of care 
which means they have to put your interest ahead of their own by law. And then the final piece of the, the three drivers is growth. And growth is first tax planning, and that is having a well thought out, annually updated and implemented tax plan. The second piece is investments, and that would be real estate, private equity, and stocks and bonds, and again, having a strategy, how that's managed. And then the third piece is what we call the profit accelerator, and that is knowing what the critical drivers are in your company, monitoring and improving those over time so you can improve your cash flow. So that's kind of what we look at when those nine catalysts, when we do a family office assessment, we dig deep in all those nine areas. It, we, I think we have a checklist that's something like 218 long. It's a lot of work by me and my team. But at the end of that, we really know what are the gaps, what things need to be fixed, and what are the opportunities. So anyone on this call could have a team of advisors who does this for you in all these different areas, but you need to get a clear picture of where you are and where you want to go if you're ever going to get there. Well, and thank you for sharing that, Jim. And what I loved about when you um, did this session with me walking through all that is that you also now offer that um, as a service, even if the person doesn't want to hire you to implement the audit, like I'm, I'm going to hire you to do the audit for me. And then depending on the results of the audit, I'll determine whether to hire you to help me implement it or not, or whether it's something I think I can implement myself. But like you impressed me with that whole checklist of, you know, just letting me know of if I have holes in my insurance that I wasn't aware of, or if I have holes in my tax strategy that I wasn't aware of, or you know, like, I think I have my stuff pretty well dialed in with what I do for clients and what, you know, I've done over the years and all my education, but I know you're going to teach me stuff I didn't already know. So I think I'm going to end up hiring you in 2020 as well, if I had to guess. But right now, I think I'll probably be able to implement it myself, but I think you're going to surprise me. So I look yeah. forward to being surprised, but your, your checklist is really impressive. Thank you, Denise. And I would say a couple of things if I can just add to that. The first is it's a lot of work for my team to do the family office assessment. So we generally don't do that unless we feel confident that there's a likelihood we're going to work together long term. So I don't want anyone to get the idea that, that this is something that, that we would do just for anyone. We want to make sure it's a good fit, personality fit, fit based on where the entrepreneur is in his or her wealth journey. And then also feel confident that there's probably going to be things that we can do together long term. But of course, there's no obligation to do that. The other thing I just want to say, just for clarification, is that you know you should always do your own research on whomever you're working with. And you know, nothing as Denise is talking about, you know, potentially hiring me. I just don't want you to feel that that's any kind of endorsement on what we do or how we do it, because. Uh, you want to do the research and you don't want to take uh, any one person's opinion about another wealth manager or advisor. You want to do your own research. You want to compare it to the alternatives of what options you have out there so you can make a good decision for you and your family. Yeah. And thanks for clarifying that, Jim, because, you know, just because you might be a good fit for me and I happen to have worked with you for 10 years. So I happen to know that, you know, you and I have a, a lot in common and we know each other really well. So we have that advantage. There might be somebody else out there that's a better fit for, you know, people listening to this. But the point being, I, I want you guys to just understand that this is a framework for you, what you can talk about with your own advisors that you're already working with. Or if you're interviewing other investment advisors, some these are some of the kinds of things you might want to be looking for and asking about, you know, Jim's just giving us a menu of ideas of what it is he's done really well that has served his clients. So thanks for clarifying that part, Jim. Of course. Um, yeah. And along the lines of what we were talking about with, um, you know, like things that you help clients do, 
Um, I know you're not an accountant, so people, of course, need to check with their CPA. We got to give those caveats, like what you were just doing a minute ago, too. But can you tell me a few tax breaks that you help, often help your entrepreneurial clients implement? I mean, some of them I, I actually have learned from you and in your book as well. You got some great strategies that I hadn't even heard before from my own CPAs and advisors over the years. So can you give us a few nuggets that you normally help your clients take a look at and see whether it suits them or not? Sure, of course. So I like to think of tax planning. I use this acronym that I created called DEEPER, and that's spelled D-E-A-P-R. And D stands for defer, E stands for eliminate, A stands for arbitrage, P stands for pay now, none later, and R stands for reduce. So when we talk to clients about putting together a tax strategy, we want to make sure that we look at all those areas and then have a collective plan, which is a combination of strategies that fit that particular entrepreneur's business and life. I see entrepreneurs chasing tax planning ideas. So they'll hear something from a friend or they'll read something. And oh, I need to go do some of this or some of that. And really the smart thing, just like we talked about in the investing is, yeah, I want to have a cohesive plan. And most plans have some of all of those different categories. Could you share a few of the strategies that um, you, like for example, the Augusta rule or, or sure. if there's another popular one that you help your clients with? Sure. So the Augusta rule is section 288 subsection G in the tax code. And this actually came about in Augusta, Georgia at the Masters Golf Tournament. So in the 1970s, and it's true still today, Augusta, Georgia, if you've ever been to Augusta, Georgia, you would probably tell anyone else that it's not the greatest town in the country as far as wealth and beauty and those kinds of things. No offense to anyone from Augusta, Georgia, but the Masters Golf Tournament is beautiful. It's an amazing golf tournament, beautiful golf course, but still to this day, there's no Ritz-Carlton, there's no Four Seasons, there's no high-end hotel in the Augusta, Georgia area, and that was true in the 70s as well. So what the families with these beautiful homes around the Masters Golf Tournament decided is, why don't we get out of town when it's so busy and crazy and rent our home to a professional golfer or to a wealthy family for the week, we can make a lot of money and we don't have to deal with the stress of being here with a golf tournament going on. Well, the IRS got wind of that and they wanted these people to pay taxes on the real estate income. So you, you can imagine people in Augusta, Georgia have a lot of pull, people who live around the masters. So they lobbied Congress and Congress agreed and they passed 288 subsection G, which allows anyone to rent their home for up to 14 days a year tax free. The reason why that's so important to an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur has a business and is his or her own person. Those are two separate entities according to the tax code. So what you can do is you can actually rent your home to your business. It's a tax deductible expense to the business and it's tax-free income to you as an individual. And you can do that up to 14 days a year. So obviously you wanna follow the law and document everything, but if you, let's say, an appropriate rental was $2,000 a day times 10, that's $20,000. If you had a 40% federal plus state tax bracket, um, then that saves you $8,000. Yeah, that's a great one. That's one that I've actually, thanks to you, I've been able to start taking advantage of for myself. So thank you for sharing that one with me in your book. Of course. Yeah, and speaking of your book, we've mentioned your book a few times. Um, can you give us the name of your book and um, where people can find that? It's called Beyond a Million, The Entrepreneur's Playbook for Expanding 
Uh, I'm going to mess up on my title. Isn't that funny? That's for okay. expanding wealth, freedom, and time. You Beyond a million, the entrepreneur's playbook for expanding wealth, freedom, and time. Uh, and you can get it on Amazon. Uh, one thing I'll say about the book, and, and I wrote it through Tucker Max's group, Scribe, which I would recommend if you're having trouble writing your own book. They I talked about writing a book for 10 years, and then Tucker helped me get it written in a much shorter period of time. But one thing that Tucker told me when we were first working on the book is, write this book and put everything in there, a bunch of great ideas. Don't hold stuff back. Don't use it as a teaser. Don't try to uh, you know, only create a scenario where the only way people can actually get this benefit is by hiring you. And so I put a bunch of good stuff in the book and I've had lots of people who aren't fits, you know, they're not a right fit for us as a client, but have gotten a lot of value out of it. So I, I would encourage you to buy the Kindle, get the audio book, you know, you can get it paperback, hardcover, whatever you want. But there's a lot of good stuff in that book. I mean, it's, you'd think I'm of course bragging about my own book, but it's actually pretty good. There's a lot of good stuff in there and it's also a good substitute for uh, you know, meeting me or hearing me speak, it's a great way to get some information that I like to share with entrepreneurs. Well, and I can echo what Jim was just saying there. Like I've worked with Jim for almost 10 years and I learned about the Augusta rule from his book because when I was reading it. So he's not kidding when he says he doesn't hold anything back because I've been, like I mentioned, working with him for so long and even I learned a lot of new things from it because it just hadn't come up in conversation with the projects we were working on. So thank you for doing such a great job on that. My husband's reading it now and he's, he told me to tell you great job as well. So, <laughs> thank he, you. Doesn't, he doesn't read books like that very often. So, cause he knows what he wants, real estate, real estate, real estate. He's reading a non-real estate book. So <laughs> or, or, well, I appreciate or that. History. Yeah, I, I, I tried to make, I try not to get too technical. So I know there's parts that I get a little bit technical, but I tried yeah. to balance between substance and actually make it readable because I could easily write a book that no one would want to read other than people like me. So I tried not to do that. I tried to make it, yeah. palatable so that it's actually there's some stories in there about my family and some things that I think a lot of people could identify with to make it a more enjoyable read. Yeah, I definitely recommend every entrepreneur. There's a handful of books that every entrepreneur should have. And yours is definitely one of my new favorites in the, the family office and the investment front. Um, you know, you've shared a lot of great wisdom with us today. In addition to, and I really appreciate that, Jim, you know, in addition to your book, what are a couple of other resources you can point people to? I think you mentioned you had a free calculator that you could um, point people to and then also your website. Could you tell us more about that? Sure. Yeah. So if you go to makerichreal.com, that's a URL we own. And if you go on there, you can download nine questions. So we created nine questions for anyone to evaluate their wealth planning in those nine areas I talked about earlier. And then you can kind of rate yourself, whether it's red where you need a lot of work or yellow where things are okay and need some improvement or green that you're doing great. So those nine questions, if you go to make rich real, you can download those nine questions. You don't have to put in your email. You're not going to get tagged or pixeled. I have all my internet marketing friends that tell me about all this stuff. So I know, and I'm not, that's really not the way I market. Uh, so you can get that without connecting to us in any way. I don't want people to feel like they're going to get stuck on some chain of emails or whatever it might be. Uh, now, obviously, on that page, if there's, if you want to be on our drip list or if you want to try to connect with us because you think you're a potential client, that's available on there too. But if you just want the nine questions, that's one place I'd recommend you go to download the nine questions. Uh, the other way is, you know, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or you can go to my website, which is dowealth.com. And that would be D-E-W-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Is that right? That's correct. 
Cool. Well, Jim, I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. And for everyone, um, I will include these details in the show notes on you know, vacationeffect.com forward slash podcast. You can just scroll down to Jim's episode and grab all these links and show notes. So if you're driving or anything else, you know, you're trying to write this down, don't worry, we will have it captured for you. So thanks again for joining me, Jim. And remember everyone, freedom is a mindset, not a destination. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening. For more information about The Vacation Effect or for details on today's show, head over to our website at vacationeffect.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.